Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. With over 75 years of experience, their doctors treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime. To become a patient, visit makingcancerhistory.com. We are live. Not totally. Never mind. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are live for real this time. Um, as JT just messaged me, it was a strong start as I forgot that we have intro music. Uh, but we are on air. We're back live after about uh, several months hiatus away from the pub tonight, unfortunately, because our fearless leader is under the weather on his birthday. So instead of having Jamie at the pub, we have JT on the radio. JT, how are you doing tonight, bud? I am doing well. I'm doing everything I can to simulate the pub atmosphere. And so uh, it won't be the same, but hopefully it'll be close. Well, you know, we're, we're doing the best that we can with, with what, we're, what we're working with. But I, I think it'll be quite all right. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone's going to be bringing me beer tonight. Uh, but not everything can be a perfect scenario. Um, <laughs> well, we have a lot to talk about here this evening as we're looking ahead at Kansas State. And just about an hour ago, the news broke on Twitter that Kansas State starting quarterback senior Jesse Ertz will be out four to six weeks with an undisclosed knee injury. And so that certainly changes the outlook for the game to some degree. But by the same token, it's still a Bill Snyder team playing at home, coming off of a, a devastating loss. And I think they're going to be bringing their A game uh, to Manhattan against the Horn Frogs on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that news is, is pretty huge, honestly. Uh, but I think kind of the the hallmark of a of a Snyder team is is the next man is up, and I think uh, their backup Alex Delton uh, did a pretty good job in the Texas game, uh, leading them to three scoring drives after Ertz went out. So uh, I don't think anything will be given up in the in the Little Apple. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and, and you know, he certainly has some talents, and we'll get a little bit more in depth uh, on him in just a few minutes here, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a really accomplished runner and a really talented athlete, so I think that's going to be an interesting uh, challenge for TCU's defense and Gary Patterson days notice before they have to start kind of, uh, instead of having to deal with that on the fly on Saturday. But before we jump into what's coming up on Saturday, I think we uh, deserve to have a look back on what happened last Saturday, one of the most important days on TCU's campus in the last several years with game day in town, ESPN giving the Frogs the big showcase uh, in the morning, and then TCU playing uh, one of, I think, the only one of two ranked matchups uh, that afternoon against West Virginia. So what, what to you, JT, was, was the best part of your day, and what was the worst part of the day? Uh, man, you know, the best part of the day, I think, is game day. Um, it's such a it's such an electric atmosphere. Uh, you know, if, if you haven't been able to experience it, uh, I would, I would encourage you to do that at some point in your lifetime. Hopefully uh, game day will be returning to us very shortly. Um, but it's just, it's just so, it's so electrifying. And I, and I grew up watching game day as a kid. Um, and so to, to see these guys, these kind of mythic figures and, and to see Corso live and um, to see you know, old crimson and to see um, just uh, thousands of people, uh, you know, essentially packed in like frozen meat in the commons uh, is really kind of just a, a wonderful thing. And so that, that really set the tone 
uh, early for the for the day, and that was that was easily the best part. Um, seeing all the signs, I think the the Western Virginia um, uh, moniker really caught on, uh, and so that was cool to see people uh, kind of take that and and uh, put it into fruition. Um, to see signs that actually read that was uh, was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and just so you all know, in case you're wondering, we have not uh, had a chance to determine our sign winner yet. And that's just because, like we said, Jamie has been has been pretty under the weather here the last couple of days. That will happen. We will get that announcement out soon as well as let you guys know the prizes. But we're probably a couple of days away from, from that being the case. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think just the game day atmosphere, walking in that morning at, you know, 7.30, 7.45 and, and seeing just thousands of people already lined up and all the students, you know, packing the pit. Um, as someone who wasn't in Texas in 2009, the last time the game day came, it was a pretty neat bucket list item for me to get to go there and to stand, you know, just outside of the pit and hold up a sign and uh, just enjoy kind of the, the really positive energy that was surrounding TCU's campus um, for that entire morning. And, and it really leaked into the afternoon as well with, a, you know, what was a really, really solid crowd up until halftime when the heat drove quite a few people mm-hmm. back to the tailgate. Um, but the, the energy in the, the Carter during the fourth quarter when, when things are really coming down to the wire was as, as good as I've seen it, you know, ever um, there. So that was a ton of fun. It was a fun game. It was kind of a, um, you know, a, something that came down to the very end. So really couldn't ask for much more um, in the way of a Saturday other than maybe it being 20 degrees cooler. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head as far as it, uh, what the worst part of my day was, was it was, it was very hot uh and uh i man i i'm ready for us to not have a 2:30 or 11 o'clock game scheduled uh i'm not going to be that guy who just complains about uh the way our games and, t- and the times uh to which they are scheduled but uh that uh it was pretty brutal to to stand in the heat for a few hours uh you know global warming right yeah, right. No, I, I just I didn't think that was a thing. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think the the heat was certainly a part of that. The 2.30 start, I mean, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to appreciate those a lot, but it would have been fun to have a night game for that atmosphere for sure. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm looking at a, at a negative, most of my negatives came after the game, which kind of leads me into my next talking point here, and that was the salty, salty, salty <laughs> West Virginia fans. Um, I will admit that there were some questionable calls in the game. But as a now six-year member of the Big 12, I'm trying to think of the last time there weren't some questionable calls. And most of them were defensible, and several of them were on reviewed plays. And so I completely understand being upset. That was a heartbreaking loss for a team that had a chance to make a big, big statement. Um, and, and I get where they're coming from. But at the same time, you know, if you show me a freeze frame of a guy that bobbled a, a ball out of bounds and you freeze a frame when he's got two hands on it, that doesn't mean he wasn't bobbling it. Um, if you want to show me the screenshot, and I apologize that I have dogs that are barking ruthlessly right now. Um, but if you want to show me a screenshot of a guy holding on to, you know, another player's jersey and neglect to show me the screenshot before when that other guy was pushing off on him, like, I just don't have a lot of sympathy for you. And I was I was disappointed in how one of my fan, favorite fan bases handled that loss and that I didn't see anything that gave credit to TCU. I saw everything blaming the refs. Um, and, and to me, that was unfortunate because I think an impartial football fans watching that probably had very little doubt who the better team on the field was that day. And that was the team that ends up coming home with the victory. No, you're right. I, 
I, I think we probably disagree. I love how salty they were just because I think my, <laughs> my schadenfreude levels were so high that I just, I love, I like reveled in their, in their misery. And so to like see, um, to see the outlets on social media of how frustrated they were, like I, I enjoyed it. I was like, uh, Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. Like I, I love seeing the hate <laughs> flow through people, um, but I, and, and I get it. I mean, I, I really do. It, it's um, it was a good game. It was a close game, um, and and there were there were calls that came uh, at really really crucial crucial moments. Um, but I, you know, I, I think specifically the the interception out of bounds. Uh, I think you, that's a hard case to make that at any point that was an interception. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, shed my homerism as much as I can. Uh, it might be an impossible task, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know how you can make a case for that. And, and there were definitely some questionable calls, but I think there were questionable calls. You know, there's always questionable calls. They, they go both ways. And, um, yeah. you know, at, at some point you just, you got beat and, uh, you know, you kind of got to move on. Take your L and go back to the mountains, folks. Yeah. That John Denver is full of... You mean Fort Worth High School graduate John Denver? That's right. He's got a plaque in the stockyards. Yeah, he no. does. Well... Yeah, he does. Not know, the stockyards. It's downtown. It kind of, yeah. He went to Arlington Heights. I know that. It was a, a, a yellow jacket. Um, well, before we move on and start, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, we're looking around the rest of the Big 12 over the weekend. We've got a huge game to talk about last weekend as well, in addition to TCU's. But is there anything that you kind of came out of that game having learned? Or is there something that TCU showed you, either positive or negative, that maybe you, you weren't quite sure about leading into that matchup? You know, uh, so I, I am, uh, you know, shameless plug to our he said, she said, which I think would illuminate a lot about where I am. Uh, woof woof um, about you know where we are as a team uh, I, I'm still I'm still very cautious and intrepidatious about TCU um, the fact that we're getting national attention the fact that Kenny Hill is a dark horse for Heisman makes me super uh, anxious and nervous I, I don't think uh, I don't think we're there yet. I, I really don't think, uh, I don't know if, if we're able to um, really ascertain or discern anything about this team. The one thing I will say that I think uh, we do have a pretty good grasp on is that I think we do have a good defense. Um, and I think, you know, we, we held a really hot and really good Oklahoma state team to 31 points. Um, and then we held the second scoring team in the nation to 24. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I think that is something for us to kind of think about is that uh, West Virginia, I think is a very good team. I think Will Greer is a very good quarterback um, and our defense played really well. We had a couple, we had a couple misplays, a couple miscommunications um, and, and they scored off of that. But um, by and large, I thought our defense did a really good job. I think maybe we could have gotten a little bit more um, uh, pressure on Will Greer, but he's a shifty guy. Um, but by and large, I was very, I was very happy with how the defense played. Um, and so I think that is something moving forward that we can kind of uh, rely on or put in the bank a little bit more. But um, outside of that, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. What about you, Mel? 
Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you a lot. I think that you're right in, in, you know, coming to the conclusion that our defense is legit um, and is kind of who we thought they were. They're going to give up one or two big plays a game. That's always been an unfortunate hallmark of the Gary Patterson defense. But at the end of the day, he's playing the odds. And he's saying, look, if you can continually make those plays over the top, then, yeah, you're going to beat us. But we're going to ask you to continually do it. And outside of the Big 12, um, you know, over the Mountain West and the Conference USA days, not many quarterbacks were capable of making that throw. Of course, you get in the Big 12 and, you know, seven or eight of the quarterbacks are, could play for just about anybody in the country. Um, and, and they can make those, those completions a little bit easier. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think we have a really good cornerback in Anthony Tejada. We have two really exceptional safeties in Nick Orr and Nico Small. And we've got playmakers all over the field. Uh, ben Banigou, uh, I, I still don't understand how this kid ever made it to Louisiana Monroe. Like, how did everybody whiff on him coming out of this area? He is not just a Division One, a high-level Division One football player, but he really looks like a pro um, just he just moves differently than everybody else on the field, and so he's been great. Matt Boson has really improved this year against the run, um, is, and is a really effective weapon that can play all three downs if he needs to. Um, I still have some questions at linebacker. You know, Traven Howard is still Traven mm-hmm. Howard. Ty Summers seems to have lost about a half a step um, in the move to defensive end because he probably put mm-hmm. on a little bit of weight. Right. Uh, and I'm interested to see what his role is going forward. I have a feeling we're going to see him at linebacker against Kansas State because we're going to need him there. Um, and with that unit banged up, it's questionable. And I also have some big concerns at the cornerback position opposite of Anthony Dejada. Uh, Jeff Gladney is still banged up. Tony James, um, they picked on him relentlessly and very effectively on Saturday afternoon. Um, and with Ridron Isahaku, uh, who should deserve to be mentioned, is one of the great safeties, too. He's outstanding. And then this game has been really good, too. Um, you know, if those guys maybe have to slide over a little bit, how's that going to affect us? Probably get away with it against Kansas State, a team that's not known for their passing ability. Um, but, you know, if you start looking ahead to some of the teams coming in um, with, you know, Iowa State's been moving the ball pretty well through the air um, with mm-hmm. the quarterback. And obviously you've got Oklahoma and, and uh, Texas Tech's on the schedule. So have some concerns. Offensively, um, I've, I've learned that we really miss Patrick Morris. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that it's, it's not, it's not just that Patrick Morris is a good center. I don't think he's any better than Austin Slotman, but I think he's just as good. But what is better is Austin Slotman sliding over to guard. Uh, he's just so athletic and able to move, and it completely changes our run game there um, with having both of those guys on the field. So we may get Morris back against UT. I'm going to be very hopeful that we do because we're going to need to run the ball against that defense for sure. So, yeah, but, but ultimately I think we have – a really, really good uh, – we have a really, really good defense. We have a really solid offense that can move the ball effectively and enough. We're not going to score 50 points a game. That's not us this year. But we're not going to mm-hmm. give us 50 points a game either. So, I think that what I know now is that TT can compete with everybody in the Big 12, but I still don't think they're going undefeated or are they a playoff team. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm pretty happy to be positive now right now, and I think that's enough. Um and, and, you know, to know that, that we return the bulk of these guys a year from now, too, that this might just be the beginning of a really, really solid foundation. Um, and to answer your question that you just mentioned me and the question that several other people have had, uh, Ben Banigou has one more year at TCU. He redshirted his freshman year at Louisiana Monroe. That out okay. last year was a gray shirt year. And then he's got two years to play. Mel, let me ask you this. Well, um, as yeah. a, oh, do you want to – do we want to move on? We want to talk about other things. Um, And I I think this will come up organically uh, throughout the show. But, you know, 
one of the things that as I was looking at our article, I think got cut because I edited it too late. Um, but, you know, as I was trying to kind of figure out what the difference is between this year and last year, um, you know, I think I think we are a little bit more solid all around, um, probably in almost every facet. I mean, we're just a little bit better. But I think one of the biggest things is we're just, a lot of things are going our way. Um, and I just I don't think that was the case last year. Um, and and so, you know, I think uh, I think that's been really helpful. I mean, to get um, to have, you know, uh, one of our, you know, to have someone get pushed into the uh, the kick returner and then get the ball. I mean, that's something that I don't think would have happened last year. We're making field goals, which uh, absolutely did not happen last year. And so I think uh, that's been super helpful for us. Um, having four punts within the five yard line. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't know if we can, can we chalk it up to us just being better as a team or, you know, are we really just kind of uh, breaking at the right time? What do you think? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, if you go back to TCU's last like special kind of a season in 2014, um, the turnover ratio was like 44 to 22. Um, and a lot of that was making plays on special teams, getting people to fumble, um, you know, having a puncher and a kicker that were as solid as anybody in the country. Um, good teams make their own breaks and aggressive defenses that fly to the ball force turnovers where others might not. And last year, the biggest thing that defense struggled with is they never got their hands on the football. They didn't have an interception until the SMU mm-hmm. game um, and, and finished with, I think, only four something like, like less than 20 turnovers overall as a mm-hmm. team. And so – Part of that is is when you're doing things right, the ball tends to bounce your way. Uh, when you've got a good defense, when you're playing fundamentals, and when you're flying to the football, you get some of those lucky bounces and some of those breaks. And there is a little bit of luck involved in college football, for sure. So, yeah, I think we are better at pretty much every position on the field this year. But at the same time, too, they're playing with a lot more confidence. They're playing with a lot more aggression. They understand the, the system much better on the defensive side of the ball. I think they have a lot more confidence in Sonny Cumbie and the play calling mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball. And Kenny Hill is, you know, playing within himself. And so you're kind of making your own luck by the way that you're playing. But then, yeah, certainly the ball has bounced our way more often than not. And as TCU fans, if there's one thing we know, we need to appreciate that because it's not something that seems to happen very often. Now, some of those injury issues may kind of balance the field, so to speak, in that regard. And so it's certainly something sure. to keep an eye on. But right now, you know, TCU is creating their own breaks and they're taking advantage of them. And, like, I think the two, the two muff punts are great examples of that. Um, Adam Nunez just has a gift. Like, if that <laughs> kid gets the ball on the opponent's 40 um, or, in, or on his own 40 or inside, he's probably going to make a pretty spectacular punt. He's not going to kick it 60 yards very often. Um, but that, that's just, uh, you don't find many punters that have that kind of skill set. And then, of course, Jonathan Song finally being inserted as a starting kicker has made uh, has really solidified that position in a way that has completely changed the game for TCU because all those missed field goals really start to wear on you as a team and miss, miss extra points for sure. Um, but let's start moving on and talk a little bit about the game coming up this weekend, or sorry, some of the other games that happened around the Big 12. Um, obviously, the biggest game of the weekend uh, for non-TCU fans or just kind of from a national perspective was the Iowa State-Oklahoma game. Uh, Iowa State comes in with a walk-on, third-string QB, a linebacker that was a former backup quarterback, having to serve as the current backup quarterback who 
threw a couple of passes and rushed for several yards and was like the leading tackler and chosen to Norman and does something that not many teams have been able to do. And Iowa State hasn't done since like the 40s and beats the Sooners and Baker Mayfield on their home field and then go ahead and plant the Iowa State flag at the 50 because apparently that's what we do now. Uh, JT, what were kind of your initial thoughts on that game? My first thought was that I didn't, I didn't know Iowa State had or owned a flag. Uh, so that was, that was uh, enlightening <laughs> for me. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, to be candid, I only caught the end of the game. Um, and so I, I don't think I could give you a lot of uh, in-game analysis about what I saw. But what I will say is that um, it, it really just makes, I think, the Big 12 wide open. Um, I don't know what that does to the Big 12 from a national perspective, um, if that kind of diminishes our reputation around, um, around the country. But I, I think, uh, and especially for me going into the season, I really thought it was going to be Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, now we're in, now we're in the driver's seat. Uh, we're, we're at the top. Um, and so I, I think, you know, candidly, there's still a lot of season left. Um, but you know, uh, OU looked really vulnerable against an O O and five Baylor team. Um, they lost to, uh, Iowa state team who I think is under 500. Um, so they, they, they look very vulnerable. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that they're not going to win a lot of games this year, but, um, certainly, you know, I think that for a lot of TCU fans was the biggest uh, concern left on our schedule uh, was OU having to go play in Norman on the 11th. Um, but, you know, that, that looks a little less daunting now, I think, from our point of view. I think it's still going to be um, anytime you have to go to Norman and, and play the Sooners, that's a difficult task. But um, they don't look like the team that they were last year. Um, and so I think uh, there is a a high percentage or, or at least a, a good chance for a lot of uh, uh, tumult in the big 12. And so there, there is a chance that uh, Oklahoma won't even be uh, in Arlington uh, at the end of the year. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I mean, it's certainly a, a dangerous thing um, for the big 12 as a whole. It, it's not a positive to have your conference front runner taken down when they're number three in the country by an unranked team that's likely going to finish at or below 500. But at the same time, I think it gives hope to some of the other teams in the conference, too, that knowing that you can go into Norman and win. Um, now the question will be, does Oklahoma let that happen again? Was that their right. choice or was it not their choice? I mean, do, do they have the ability? Was that just a, a slip-up or are they just that vulnerable? Um, but, you know, the, the Frogs are in a great position in that they still 100% control their own destiny. And so at the end of the day, TC just has to go win. Um, and, and with OU suffering a loss, the team that, I mean, it's not going to be in contention for the Big 12 championship. It just it gives you a little bit of room for error if you're in Oklahoma State, if you're a Texas Tech, if you're a Kansas State, if you're a Texas, or if you're a TCU. Um, that first loss doesn't eliminate you um, from contention right away. Now you've got a little bit of opportunity to fight your way back into the Big 12 championship, even with an L, uh, and, and make your way to Arlington to hopefully get into a, a significant BCS Bowl or the, possibly the playoffs. Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it, it, it's wide open at this point. And I think uh, yeah. with the exception of maybe Kansas or Baylor, I think uh, every team in the Big 12 has the potential to be um, in the championship game at the end of the season. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to recap where we're at tonight, guys, we are so sorry. I know that um, I've gotten a couple notifications on Twitter. We are not at the pub tonight. Jamie is out sick, and being that he possesses the podcasting equipment and lives in Dallas while I live in Arlington, um, was not able to get over there and pick it up. So we are going back to the old school way of going live. That means we'll be able to take your questions here, which we'll do in just a few minutes, and then we'll continue to take your questions on Twitter and over Facebook as well. It also means that you get to hear the lovely chorus of dogs barking in the background as I deal with that issue at my house. So um, JT is on with me tonight. We are talking all things TCU and Kansas State. We're just finishing up running through the Big 12 weekend that was. Um, I do want to touch on just one other conference game that was significant and also is significant to TCU fans, and that, of course, was the Texas-Kansas State game in Austin and the emergence of Sam Ellinger as a big, brass, bald, true freshman quarterback that looks like he is going to be a problem in the Big 12 deep for defenses for a long time to come. Did you have the opportunity to watch any of that game, JT? Uh yeah, I caught the end. I caught overtime. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I am actually kind of interested to see the growth of Texas. Uh, you know, they, I, I enjoyed quite a bit for them to lose to Maryland at the beginning of the year. Um, that was, that was, kind of glorious in a lot of ways but I think um and and, and at the beginning I was definitely really quick to write them off um to, to do that at the beginning you thought well this is going to be uh, another rebuilding year but I think they've started to come on a little bit you know maybe USC isn't um isn't as good as people gave them credit for um but I I do think as the season continues they're only going to get better um, and, and I think uh, we, we saw that a little bit, you know, and maybe we really don't know what, uh, what, what team Kansas State was. You know, I think people had them slated to be third or fourth um, in the conference. You know, I, I think they're probably not as good as people anticipated them to be. Um, and, and so maybe that kind of plays a factor in that game. But, um, but I, think, I think Texas is, uh, you know, they've always been able to recruit well. They have uh, uh, just a – embarrassment of riches in, in the talent that they have and um and their defenses look pretty pretty good um you know they, they they give up some yards they give up some points but um i think uh they're only going to get scarier as the season goes on um you know i i think i think the red river shootout this year the red river rivalry which is what they call it now which is dumb uh i think that's going to be a really good game i, I uh i would not be too surprised if texas actually won yeah, absolutely. I think that we're looking at a big matchup. Um, Ellinger, you know, still has some struggles in the past. There. He's not super accurate. Um, teams are eventually going to catch up to his running ability and start game planning against him. Um, Kansas State just doesn't have a lot of speed at the linebacker position, and so I think that's why they decided against spying. Um, when, when TCU and Texas match up, they've, they've got a little bit different types of linebackers at, at TCU, and so I think they'll be able to kind of reel that in a bit. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at kind of the, the present and the elder statesman of the, uh, of the of the big co-quarterback conference in Baker Mayfield and maybe the second coming of him, though, with much less of the off-the-field baggage and attitude issues uh, in Sam Ellinger. But very similar players, you know, guys that can run. I think Ellinger is only going to improve as a passer. 
Um, but as you said, Texas has a really solid defense, especially as uh, one of the better secondaries in the conference, if not the country. They got torched a little bit by Kansas State of all teams, but I think that's partially because that's what they were willing to give up. Um, and, and, you know, defensive line, they can cause some problems and can collapse some pockets. And, you know, linebacking units, they have a ton of talent, even if they haven't quite always um, lived up to that. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Saturday's game with Oklahoma and Texas playing in the Cotton Bowl is going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas won. I don't think OU is – I think they're too talented to lose two in a row. But it's the same token. This is a Texas team that's clearly on the rise and is not going to be the Big 12 whipping boy for much longer. The question will be, is Texas rising right as OU is falling, or are both these teams going to be who we're used to them being um, long-term over the course of time in this conference? So, you know, I think that, that kind of covers what happened last weekend. Obviously, there there's some interesting teams. You know, we may get a chance to touch on kind of Georgia, Washington, Penn State, and just how good those programs are. But I think it's about time to start looking ahead to Kansas State. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Kansas State, then you probably haven't been a Big 12 fan for very long. They're basically the same program they've been forever under Bill Snyder. They're well-coached. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They are going to pound the football down your throat, and they're going to take advantage with play action and, and trying to make the big play over the top um, occasionally when, when that um, opportunity arises. So with Jesse Ertz having to take a seat here this weekend um, and for the next several weeks, that certainly changes the complexion of their team. Shockingly athletic um, for a guy his size, uh, can really move in the pocket can make passes when he needs to, although he's just about a 50% lifetime completion percentage kind of a guy. So not the most accurate passer, but certainly capable. Um, but with him out of the lineup, you go to Alex Benton, who's a younger guy who doesn't have a lot of uh, experience, but came in against Texas and really moved the ball. Like I said, three touchdown drives that he orchestrated, barely threw it, only had two completions, and I believe five attempts on the day. But Texas had no answer for what was basically an off-tackle run an outside run and a QB delay draw uh, were the only three plays that they ran, and they ran those probably combined 30 times with Alex Belton, and they never, ever uh, gave them the opportunity to – or they never, they never slowed them down. They never stopped, um, which was completely fine um, if you're a Kansas State fan. But at the end of the day, when it got to overtime, um, you know, Bill Snyder couldn't decide which quarterback to go with. Delton ended up going three and out. Then Ertz came back in, lost a bunch of yardage. Delton came back in, lost a bunch of yardage. And they really looked completely just confused and disoriented on offense. But uh, have you? what are your kind of early impressions on who Kansas State is and how that matches up with the Horned Frogs? Yeah, and, and uh, I don't think – I don't think Kansas state has been the strongest passing team regardless of who is their quarterback, but yeah. especially without Ertz in, um, I, I think uh, they will be very run heavy. Um, that's not to say that they mm-hmm. won't try anything a little shifty, but um, I think with the way our, our secondary is and, and, and the strength that we have back there, um, I, I don't foresee, I don't foresee their offense to be too high octane for us. Um, I think as long as we're able to uh, stop the run, which we've been really efficient at, um, I think I think we're going to do. Uh, I think we're going to perform really well on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the one thing that I think you know I think will be kind of another um, uh, road marker for us as far as how we function offensively is um, just to see kind of what we can do um, to see how, how Kenny plays how. 
um, how the play calling is, how, you know, our run game is, because uh, Kansas State, you know, like you said, they're, they're, they're very well coached. Um, they kind of just do the same thing every year. They're always really solid and they have a really good defense. I think um, they have, uh, you know, they're, they're top 25, maybe top 30 in, in scoring defense. So they don't give up a ton of points. Um, and, and so they're, they're just really steady. And so I think for us, um, you know, and this is a team that last year, I think, uh, almost shut us out. We put up six, I believe. Um, and so, you know, this is going to be a really interesting matchup for us to kind of see, um, how much, just how much we have improved as a team, um, and to see, you know, really to get another, um, another, you know, uh, identification marker on what our offense is and what it isn't. Um, and so that's really, uh, by and large, what I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing is, is just, um, what, what our offense is, what it can do. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Um, you know, the Kansas State defense allows only 20 points per game. They're surrendering just under 130 yards on the ground for a contest and just over 225 through the air. So, you know, under the 400 yard total mark, uh, total offense mark. They haven't played an overwhelmingly um, good offensive schedule. Um, you know, Vanderbilt beat them by scoring two touchdowns. Uh, you know, Texas didn't put a ton of points on the board and hasn't been a really effective offensive team. So they haven't been challenged by a team the caliber of uh, offensively what they're going to see against uh, TCU. So I'd, I'd expect the probably to move the ball a little bit on the ground, and I think Kenny Hill can be effective in the play-action game. Um, the, the question for me now is with Delton getting the start, and like you said, he's, he's just not the passer that Ertz is, and, and Kansas State has really never been known as a passing team. Um, can he move the ball enough against what has been a really stout defense, especially against mm-hmm. the run, to keep up with the Frogs, even if the Frogs, you know, even if we're calling 33 points a successful day for TCU? No, you're right. And, uh, and, and I, I think I'm less concerned about how many points we put up at the end of the day. Um, but I, I think, I think we have an opportunity on defense to hold Kansas state to, um, to very little scoring opportunities uh, just with how, how big we are on the line. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like guys like Bradley, Bethley, um, Blacklock. I mean, th- those guys just eat people up. I mean, it's uh uh, it's really actually exciting to watch. So I, I think uh, I think we will do we will be very effective in stopping the run. Um, and I think if we're able to do that, then I, I think um, you know I really foresee Kansas State to be uh, a one-dimensional team this week. Yeah, well, and I think one of the biggest stats to watch too is going to be third downs. You know, TCU continues, even though they struggled on Saturday against West Virginia, they still continue to be one of the best teams in the country at converting mm-hmm. third downs, and that's just because they don't have a lot of third and longs. Meanwhile, Kansas State, who is a running team first, apparently does have some more longer third and longs, um, <coughs> excuse me, as they're completing just 34% of their third down conversion, just 19 for 56, uh, while they're allowing over 40% conversion rate on the other side. So, TC can move the ball if they can convert on third down, if they can keep the Kansas State offense off the field, and they can get ahead early if the Wildcats have to throw the ball to catch up, and that probably spells disaster for them, even on their home field. Definitely. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about our important unit matchups for the game. So we kind of know what some of the strengths and weaknesses are. To me, the most important thing, and you kind of touched on this earlier, is going to be what does, can- what does TC's defensive line, that talented group of pass rushers and run stuffers, do against the Kansas State running game? You know, Ertz has been their leading rusher. Generally, that has been the case where their quarterback has been one of their best guys, but he was averaging over five yards a carry, um, had over 387 yards on the year, and was averaging nearly 70 yards per game. The next leading rusher is, is uh, running back Alex Barnes, who, again, goes over five yards a carry, averages nearly six yards, uh, 60 yards per game. And so I think a lot more weight will be on Barnes, obviously, to kind of carry the load, because not only do you have to, um, to do you lose urge, but now you have to be a little bit more careful with Delton, because now, you don't want to end up, you know, giving him the ball too many times and, and having him get dinged up or injured as well. So there's really nobody else to go to after that that has any kind of game experience at all. And so do those big run stuffers in the middle, Blacklock, Collier, Bradley, um, uh, Bethley, and, and the lot, can they kind of close down the middle of the field for against the Kansas State offense? And then on the edge, can Vanogo uh, and Boson and Summers and whoever else is lining up out there can they contain um, Alex Delton in the backfield and prevent him from breaking out for those big runs and the broken plays when he does drop back to pass? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think that's, that's going to be, uh, you know, paramount to our success on Saturday. Uh, you know, the matchup that I, I really am uh, interested in is actually inverse to yours. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kenny is against the Kansas state defense. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned it. They're, they're a solid defense. Uh, they don't give up a lot of points. Um, you know, I think we saw, you know, I, I thought Kenny played pretty well last week. Um, our third down conversion was, uh, a little bit under our incredulously high number that it was previously before the West Virginia game. Um, so it was only going to go down. Um, but you know, West Virginia did something very interesting, uh, when they would, they would just send everybody on third down and, you would see Kenny making throws off of the back of his feet. He wouldn't, he wouldn't set and throw. Um, and I think that was a recipe for us to not convert as much on a third down. Um, I, I wonder if that's going to be the new paradigm for teams going forward. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I'll just be interested to kind of see um, how Kenny, how Kenny plays this week. Um, but that's, that's really, uh, that's really true for me every week. I'm just, I'm interested to see what Kenny does. Um, if he plays within his means, if he follows the strategy, um, and, uh, you know, what he does, what he does on the field, because I think, um, the successes that he has, uh, will directly correlate to, um, the success that we have as a team. And so, um, I think part of it is I'm, I'm still just, uh, you know, unsure about, about Kenny. And so I'm, I'm always wanting to see what he does next. Yeah. And I think that this is an interesting matchup for him, um, you know, Texas had success in the air when they matched up their big receivers on Kansas State's undersized defensive back. TC uh, doesn't have that guy. Now, uh, John Diars and Jalen Rager don't play like, you know, six-foot guys. They, they really feel more like 6'3", which is their leaping ability and their strength. And so I think that there are some matchups that the Frogs can take advantage of there. You know, Kenny Hill, knock on wood, knock on whatever, has gone two straight games where he's had some questionable passes, but none of them have landed in the opponent's hands. And so mm-hmm. if he stays turnover-free for a third consecutive game, that seems to be a recipe 
uh, for success with the team team is make the other guys give it up and don't give it up yourself. And a lot of that does, of course, fall on his shoulders. So I'm interested to see not only how does Kenny Hill play, but what kind of game does Sonny Cumbie call? Um, I think there were some questions about who TCU was, what their identity was Saturday against West Virginia. Um, anytime that you line up against the 115th ranked rush defense in the country, even if they did get about three defensive players back in the starting lineup, and then you come out really not running the ball and Kyle Hicks and Darius Anderson have a combined 20 touches, it starts to kind of concern you that uh, and, and most people in the stands, and, and myself included, were saying that we got a little too cute on Saturday. And so I hope we get back to basics a little bit. We just go up and play our game and, and really focus on running the ball, controlling the ball, keeping the, the ball out of Kansas State's hands offensively and letting our defense get nice long breaks on the sidelines just like Gary Patterson wants them. Uh, speaking of defense, you just keyed me into this, and I just saw it on Twitter as well. We might as well do some breaking news here. Uh, the Frogs landed a huge defensive end, uh, a JUCO kid, out of um, off the West Coast, Jordan Allen, just committed to TCU. He took his official visit this past weekend. Has been flying under the radar quite a bit, but looks like uh, kind of in the Ben Benogo, ben, Banigu mold. A uh, long, lanky guy with pretty good speed. Um, a prototypical Gary Patterson type of player. So that's a big time commitment for the Frogs to land. The Carter Boys 18 is going to be um, certainly a top 25 class and looks like it could sneak into the top 15 by the time things are said and done as, as we wait to potentially hear from a handful of other guys in the next couple of weeks. But uh, awesome to get a defensive guy. I feel like always signed our wide receivers for the last couple of years. So I'm excited to see a, a, a good defensive end with a lot of talent uh, land in the Carter Boys 18 for sure. Definitely. Uh, and that's what, that's what Frogs Award does. We, uh, we hit you with that breaking news. Uh, it's hard hitting journalism at its finest, but I think you're right. He's, uh, you know, he's a, uh, he's a little bit on the smaller end uh, as far as weight is concerned. So we'll probably need to bulk up a little bit, but um, especially with, with where we are at the end uh, you know, I, I know we're a little thin on the position, which is why we've kind of had uh, to think about Ty Summers moving into that position. And I know, uh, Boston will be graduating this year. And so um, to add some depth at that position is going to be uh, very, very uh, important for our future success. So yeah. we're happy to have you, Jordan. Sure. Uh, welcome to the Frog Fam. Yeah, he's 6'5", 230 pounds, definitely can add some good weight to his frame, uh, runs a 4'5", 240. Uh, comes out of uh, City College in San Francisco, near my hometown. Used to play against them when I was coaching basketball at William Jessup University. And just is just an absolute beast. Kind of has that Gary Hughes, Ben Banigou kind of a look mm-hmm. to him, really long arms. He He's going to need some time to bulk up a little bit, but I think he's going to be an absolute beast. Uh, pick TCU over offers from Arkansas, Ole Miss, Iowa State, and then, of course, that hotbed of uh, football talent, Coastal Carolina, um, RIT College World Series two years ago, as well <laughs> as um, the San Jose State Spartans who, you know, put up a big old bagel against Texas earlier this season. So uh, that's exciting stuff. We talked about some of the best uh, defensive players coming into the class of 2018. I think that leads us nicely into our picks to click for Saturday afternoon. It's one of my favorite segments. Um, Jake, no pressure here. But Jamie is basically batting a thousand on the season. If he picks a guy to click, that guy not only clicks, but uh, potentially becomes a you know all-world ten-year contract guy in the NFL. So I don't oh, want you wow. to feel too much pressure, but hit me up with who is your first big pick to click. 
Well, okay. So number one uh, for me, uh, Kyle Hicks, uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of them uh, this year. He's been, he's been injured. And then we didn't, we didn't run the ball a ton against West Virginia. Um, but I, look for him, look for him on, on Saturday to, to get some carries and to do a lot of damage with them. I think um, look for him to have a hundred yard day. I got a good feeling about it. Well, I like that, and not only am I going to like it, but I'm going to kind of pick alongside of it, and I am going to say that Darius Anderson is back into the fold, gets more than nine carries on Saturday afternoon, has double-digit carries, leaping up to the 15 to 18 mark, which I think should be his bare minimum on any given day, and he has another huge day on the ground, too. Between Kyle Hicks and Darius Anderson, I expect about 200 yards, two or three scores. Uh, and just a lot of ball control offense from TC. So that Darius Anderson is, is my first guy. Who on the defensive side of the ball do you expect to play well? You know, Mel, the, the beautiful thing about both of our offensive picks is that we can both be right at the same time. Uh, yeah. And that's a beautiful Wonderful. thing. Uh, I have, you know, this was, I think, kind of a, a slam dunk. I have Trayvon Howard, uh, who is kind of the anchor to our defense. Um and he's just, he's so solid. And so uh, I think he's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to kind of uh, anchor our defense. Uh, and he's going to, you know, look for him to have double digit tackles, um, maybe even a sack or, or a tackle for loss. Um, but he's going to be in the thick of it. He's going to be making sure that um, they're not able to run all over us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that pick too. I think Howard is due for another big day. He is quietly uh, taking the, the team lead in tackles once again after being very, very quiet early in the season, mostly because nobody got past the defensive line running the football. Uh, <laughs> he's been called upon to have big games against both Oklahoma State and West Virginia and has delivered, I think, with 20 total tackles between those two games um, and, and really just been all over the field. Uh, my pick to click, I'm going to go a little bit deeper defensively. Um, I want to cheat and pick Ben Banigou because I feel like we can basically pick him every <laughs> single week and he will deliver. Um, but I'm going to go with Nick Orr. He, uh, Nico Small has been really good. Nick Orr had some really great plays. You know, Ridwan and Sahaku had kind of the big hits. But I think it's Nick Orr's kind of time to shine. Um, I don't think that Kansas State is going to throw the football a lot, but I expect TCU to jump out to an early lead and then have to play a little bit of catch-up. And if that's the case with a – a very inexperienced quarterback, you know, taking, taking the snaps that somebody in the secondary is going to have to make a big play. There were several miscommunications. Um, you know, there was one poorly timed blitz call. I think that the secondary felt uh, like they got a little picked on last weekend, and I think they want their revenge, and this is certainly the quarterback to do it against. And so uh, Nick Orr is going to need to have a big game, not just defending the pass, but also coming up and run support, which I expect him and, and Ridwan and Sahaku to do very, very well, assuming that Ridwan can go. Uh, Saturday because he was banged up um, last weekend as well. But uh, I think I think Nick's going to have at least one interception, maybe a forced fumble, and uh, really help corral the Kansas State running game and keep them from kind of dominating the way that they know how. Um, guys, as we kind of get rolling here, I do want to let you know if you want to call in, if you're listening live, we would love to have you give us a call. You can call in at 657-383-1932. Again, we'd love to take your calls. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter um, if you have questions for us there or um, on the Facebook page as well. That's 
at Frogs of War on Twitter and Frogs of War on the Facebook page. So, again, we apologize for not being out at the pub this weekend. Hopefully this is just a one-week um, uh, reprieve here, and we'll be back out live to drink beer and party with y'all. Um, apologize for not getting out enough notice um, for those of you guys that didn't catch the tweets earlier in the day. But uh, we are happy to be here and taking your calls, and I'm very happy to be on with the wonderful JT, who was kind enough to fill in for Jamie, who um, hopefully has found a way off of his bathroom floor by this point in the, in the evening, but there are absolutely no guarantees of that. Um, so as, as we kind one of, of One wait, of those uh, nights, I guess. He, yeah, yeah, I think it was one of those nights, one of those mornings. He swears it's a stomach bug, but guys, it's Jamie's birthday today. So you call the it big stomach 4-0. bug. We've all been there. Yeah, I, I think we started in 65. He's just aged well. Um, it's his AARP discount, so, I think. So Ah, that's what it is. Yeah, he, he got that good deal. Well, um, as we see, if we've got anybody that wants to call in, we'll, we'll take your calls, guys, if you want to give us a call again. That number is... Six five seven three eight three one nine three two. I feel a little desperate asking for your phone calls, but we don't get a chance to talk to you guys very often. So if you want to give us a call, we'd love to chat with you. Um, but as we wait to see if, if we've got anything on the line there, let's go ahead and talk predictions. What is your expectation for what is going to happen in a little apple Saturday morning? Uh, man, I mean, I, I think especially with the recent news, especially with Earth being out, uh, you know, I, I think Frogs win by three scores. Uh, current line is Frogs minus Ooh. six. Uh, so, you know, just FYI, I don't know if the news has been broken to Vegas yet, but uh, I uh, I would hop all over that. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Frogs are going to win pretty handily. Yeah, I, I don't really bet on sports, but minus six with a backup QB who has five – meaningful pass attempts um, against one of the better run defenses in the country. I would probably encourage those that like to recreationally bet on sports to maybe get on that. Um, you know, it's, it's tough because Kansas State has really had our number in a lot of ways over the last couple of years. You know, it took a miracle comeback two years ago in Manhattan to, mm-hmm. to get a win. They dominated, dominated us in all facets of the game a year ago in Fort Worth and terrible rainy conditions and with the banged up Kenny Hill. Um, but this just feels so much like the TC revenge tour. And I don't think that there was a, a lower moment than that game last season. And I think Kenny Hill has that kind of stamped indelibly on his mind. And he wants hmm. to redeem himself a little bit. Now, that version of Kenny Hill can be mistake prone, the one that's trying to do too much. But I think if, if Cumbie keeps him within the game plan, Hill continues to just – play the way that has, has been so successful for TCU, which with his maturity this year, I kind of expect. Um, I think the Frogs should be in control of this one throughout. Um, you know, it could come down to, uh, you know, obviously which team makes fewer mistakes. The Frogs have only been beaten in a turnover, or have only lost a turnover battle one time, and that was uh, still a victory for them. But for the most part, football, they controlled time of possession, um, and they've just been uh, really, really competitive both on the road and at home. And so, this isn't the one you want to drop. Um, I don't. I don't know that there are games that you want to drop, but uh, this is a kind of a down on their luck Kansas State team, and you need to take advantage of them while they're at a low point and go out and get a W. Um, I would love the three score look. I don't know if I'm quite that confident, but I can see this kind of being like a, a 31 or a 34 to 17 type of game, and then TC kind of being in control. Maybe Kansas State adds a late touchdown to to make the score a little bit closer, but. 
the Frogs, if they play to their ability, um, should control this game for all four quarters. No, I I uh, I like the uh, I like the uh, the theme of the the TCU or Kenny Hill Revenge Tour, um, and I think if there's yeah, anything yeah. to give us, um, you know, a little bit of uh, relief there is is knowing that in the in the previous two games, you know, I think this three game stretch really constitutes um, the three worst losses we had last year. We lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, 31-6 or something like that. We we lost West Virginia 31-0 and then Kansas State, you know, 31-6. Uh, those are our three most demoralizing losses of the year. Uh, and so far, you know, we beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater very, very, in a very convincing fashion. And uh, and then we took down West Virginia at home. And so um, in, in both of those cases, Kenny Hill has played um, within his means and he's, uh, done everything that he's been asked to do uh, with the, the exception of one to two throws a game. Um, so I think that does give us a lot of uh, encouragement for, um, uh, you know, for the future and, and for this game uh, more specifically. Awesome. Well, we do have a caller, so I'm going to go ahead and, and read them in here. Who do we have on the line with us? Oh, hi guys. Uh, this is Frogliger. Hey, how's it going? What an honor, guys. Uh, pretty, we have pretty, on the pod with us. <laughs> yeah, doing pretty good. Is, uh, yeah, I just touch all that by sheer, by sheer good luck. Well, I feel like we caught you by good luck. So you made uh, your first trip out to Fort Worth in, in quite a while, FL. Uh, what was your experience like catching TCU West Virginia in person? Well, it, it was it was pretty emotional actually getting in there. But once once I was there, uh, it's you know you just get caught up in it and everything. Uh, I, I had had great seats. Uh, I was really right down in the on the field level, uh, you know, on one of the lower. Even though it was only on the ten yard line, I still got a, a great view of most of it. Uh, but uh, it wasn't quite high enough to get a, a really a good overview of the schemes that was going on, the coverages that were going on. So that was that was the question I wanted to pose to y'all. Uh, really a two-parter, but just two sides of the same coin. I was going to ask you what you guys thought Sonny Cumbie was trying to do in the first half. It certainly wasn't what any of us expected us to do, uh, but I couldn't tell what he was trying to do. And granted, Kenny was a little inaccurate with his throws uh, to begin with, but something got corrected in the second half, and you know it was just a totally different game. And then the second part of my question is the same thing, but with from Holgerson from their side. What uh, what were they doing that changed in the second half offensively that we we were having trouble covering also? And I'll uh, I'll just listen to y'all from there. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, think, I mean those are great questions, and I think that um, there were a lot of us that were kind of curious as to what exactly Sunny Cumbie's game plan was. Um, and I think it was, to me, it was very reminiscent of the Oklahoma State game, but a lot less effective. Um, everybody expected TC to come out, play slow, run the ball, you know, do what they had done against Arkansas and SMU. And they came out and they ran tempo. I think the first seven plays of the game were pass attempts, you know, mostly screens and, and short stuff. But they kind of caught Oklahoma State off guard with how quick they played. And so – I think for two weeks what happened was Sonny was hearing everybody tell you how bad the West Virginia defense was against the run and saying, 
well, they expect us to run the ball. We're going to come out throwing, and we're going to come out being a lot more aggressive than we've been. And, um, you know, like you said, Hill wasn't missing badly, but as Kenny Hill's been prone to do throughout his career, he misses by like 6 to 12 inches. And, you know, when you get up into the conference games, that, that 6 to 12 inches is the difference between a completion and an interception more often than not. Um, and so we got a little bit lucky that, you know, West Virginia had some opportunities and couldn't convert. And there were quite a few balls that, that were low or high um, coming out of Hill's hands, too, um, that just really stagnated the offense. But what they didn't do was what I expected them to do, and that was to kind of start with the run and stick with it. And so we ended up with a lot of third, third and longs, I mean, you know, third and eight, third and ten uh, situations that, you know, the Frogs just haven't had to convert a lot and didn't look very good doing um, over the course of the first half. What it felt like to me at halftime happened is that Garrett Patterson got involved, and I feel like there was a conversation there that let's go with what's working. Um, I haven't looked at the breakdown, but um, I'd be interested to see what the run-pass ratio was separately in both halves. It felt like we ran a lot more. It felt like the defense got worn down against the run, and it was a lot more effective uh, for TCU um, in that regard, but I'd, I'd have to take a closer look at the stats and do so, which I can kind of try to pull up while we're, while we're talking here. But on the other side of the ball, um, to me, what I really noticed was that uh, West Virginia came at us with their own game initially, and that they were the ones that were slowing things down a little bit, looked a little bit uncomfortable uh, based on what they're normally set to do on offense. But they slowed it down. They ran. The, you know, the first play goes for like 38 yards or, or something um, off a of scrimmage when they're pinned down inside their five. Um, and they were really effective running the ball in the first half. By the second half, um, they were relying more on the pass. What happened to me was that uh, there was Tony James and um, uh, Jeff Gladney were rotating in and out. Gladney was trying to go. He didn't play hardly any snaps in the first half. He has a bum ankle. that He, he rolled an untaped ankle walking to practice last week. And he barely played any snaps in the first half. Well, in the second half, um, he was rotating in and out with Tony James and going as much as he could. Well, anytime Tony James would come on the field, that was where they attacked every time. And it just got David Sills as a really talented wide receiver. They got him loose a couple times. They ran a lot of pick plays. They used the officials um, in, a, in a really smart way to get some guys open. There were some miscommunications. And um, ultimately what it felt like happened is that, uh, you know, TCU just kind of was in the wrong place by just, a hair, and that was enough for David Greer, or, uh, to, or sorry, Will Greer, to get the ball out and get it to in the hands of the wide receivers. And from there, uh, you know, those guys are six three, six five, and and fast. They were gone. Yeah, I definitely think uh, our secondary, you know, who is kind of struggling with injuries, uh, got taken advantage of a little bit. Um, and and I think part of, uh, you know, what what could be accounted for uh, as the changes from the first half to the second half is, uh, you know, I think both teams just kind of settled in a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't, maybe we don't give enough credit to the kind of the gravitas of the situation of game day being um, on your campus or, you know, covering your specific game. I think that has a lot of weight uh, to both teams involved. You know, I mean, they're, um, they have a beat on, on, or a, a pulse on, on what's going on. You know, they, they, they have seen game day. They, they kind of understand what that means. And so um, I think that would be cause for, you know, the, the natural, I guess, course would be for, for a team to maybe kind of tense up and be a little, um, uh, you know, timid from the beginning. And so I, I think just kind of uh, part of the natural rhythm of the game was that they, they settled in a little bit. And, um, and so I think that might have been 
partially a reason for, for the change that we saw. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, one thing we didn't mention either is that, um, you know, when, you know, West Virginia's first four drives start inside the five-yard line, um, their passing game is going to be eliminated a little bit. Like, you're not going to throw too many right. balls deep out of huh, out of the uh, back the back of the uh, end zone on the 13-year-old boy. Um, so, you know, I think that, that that really limited their offenses based on the field position that they started with in the first half. In the second half, they weren't pinned as often. Um, plus, you know, I think one thing that we always forget to pay heed to is that when a team starts falling behind, they tend to kind of loosen up the playbook a little bit more. They take more risks. They take more chances. And that's what West Virginia did. They played very conservatively, partially because Will Greer never got comfortable, partially because they were moving the ball pretty well on the ground. But they were super conservative in the first half. And over the course of the second half, when CC started to score a little bit, that's when they kind of loosened up and said, we got to go for it. And fortunately for them, unfortunately for almost unfortunately for TCU, some of those risky plays paid off for big, huge gains and, and guys just got loose, got free and scored. And I think that was just attributed to, um, you know, needing to make something happen as opposed to just settling for, for what the defense was giving you. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're uh, on the money there with that one. Okay. Well, yeah. One thing I one uh, thing I could notice right a, one one thing I noticed right away was uh, you know West Virginia those receivers were tall, they kind of towered yeah, over our huge. guys and that was something I was worried about for a while, uh, and then whenever their you know their QB Greer uh, was able to kind of run at will there at, at the very beginning that was a worry, but uh, we did we clamped down we did a really good job defensively. No, well, you're I right. Think, I, you know, I, Gary Patterson has always been a great halftime adjustment coach. Um, there are very few games where we can look back and, and say TCU didn't play better, didn't adjust to the, oppos- the opposition better in the second half, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And while they got torched a little bit more defensively, I think that was more the field position, you know, battle not being quite as, as different um, than it was anything that TCU defense was doing wrong per se. And, you know, anytime that you hold a, a great offense like West Virginia, so three points are going to break out and you still hold them to 24 overall. That's, that's pretty dang impressive. But yeah, I thought that, that both coaching staffs on both sides of the ball made some really positive adjustments and, and that, you know, paid dividends in the end. And I think, you know, that speaks to just how well coached our secondary is because there was a clear size, disadvantage on our end and the, and the same can be said for our game against uh Oklahoma State and I think at some point in that game you saw them start to pick that off a little bit um mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know if it was Tejada or Gladney but, but they were covering I think uh Aitman who's like 6'4 or 6'5 and they just kept running out yeah. routes uh you know and they and uh, he'd put it up high and they'd catch it and so um that is something I think for us to be cognizant of but um I will say our secondary is so well coached that they um, that they don't let the, the, the size disadvantage really um, take hold with, you know, a couple exceptions sure. per game. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's not something that you're going to necessarily see um, from Kansas State. Their best wide receiver is, is Dalton Schoen, and he's not an overly large guy. Um, I think, let me see here, he's six foot one. So that's, that's and I would imagine that Ranthony Tejada is going to be one-on-one with him most of the game. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, those, those receivers are just, just really large guys and they're going to get theirs. I mean, if you look at the stats against Oklahoma and West Virginia out of context, then, you know, you see that both teams racked up quite a few yards, you know, over 400 yards, um, you know, between the air and ground games, over 100 yards on the ground. 
But at the end of the day, you know, TC's bend, don't break philosophy has been really, really effective on the defensive side of the ball. And the Frogs are getting wins. And Gary Patterson has never, like, he likes to brag on his top 10 defenses. And they obviously like to use that in recruiting great defensive players. But he wants to win. And I think that's the biggest difference between this team and last year's is to a man, it appears, they want to win. And how they get there doesn't really matter to them. You know, they're not looking for style points. They just know that they've got to get to Arlington, get to the Big 12 championship, hopefully with one loss or less. And if they win that, then they'll have done everything they can to put themselves in position to hopefully get into the, to, you know, the, the playoffs or at least to get to a BCS goal, bowl, uh, something that I think every Frog fan that, that knows what they're talking about would be ecstatic with based on what we saw coming into the year. Well, that's one reason why uh, that was good news you gave us earlier about on the recruiting trail was, you know, we got a nice tall guy coming in. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's a huge, huge piece to add um, for the Horned Frogs. And I think that as he gets a little bit thicker, too, and adds some good weight, uh, that's, a, that's a big piece. Because one thing that, you know, that, we, you know, we kind of touched on without really talking about it is, you know, Will Greer is a big guy, and he's a really, really shifty, slippery guy. And TCU had him in their grasp on at least three occasions in the mm-hmm. first half where he got out of it and completed passes. And so I think that, you know, you, you change size for speed quite often. And so when you can, you know, get a guy who's 6'5", who can maybe get up to 245, 250 pounds without losing a step, uh, you're looking at, you know, just having a little bit more weight on someone to pull pull quarterback like that down. And there's so many running quarterbacks in the Big 12 right now, and it looks like uh, that's going to be the direction this conference continues to, to go in offensively that having those guys with speed that can catch up to them, but then also having the size and strength to pull them down, that's a huge difference maker for defense in this conference and the caliber of play that you're seeing from these guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Greer wasn't that well-known, I don't think, before, but, you know, he he was a four-star in high school, and, you know, he, he originally yeah. signed with Florida, and they're known as being, a you know, a passing team as themselves. So uh, it wasn't a big shock whenever he did well, but his running kind of caught me a little by surprise. But uh, yeah, he's he's always been a good athlete. Um, I don't I didn't realize he was that good of getting out of tackles. Um, I knew he could move really well in the pocket, but I was shocked at just how strong he was. But I guess we shouldn't have been that surprised considering he left Florida because of PEDs. Ooh, ouch, my bad. Ooh, too soon. <laughs> you no, said. I mean, yeah, all right. You'll be uh, you'll be fine for that, I think, per the head honcho. Yeah. Yeah, for the head on show, yeah. Um, well, good. Well, hopefully, uh, Frog Liquor, that, that answers your questions for you. Did you have anything else that was on your mind after being back in the Carter live and in person Saturday afternoon? Uh, well, the only other comment was, uh, you know, I, the one the one of the highlights to me, because it was right in front of me, was, was Dyars pulling in that, that sideline pass and oh. then just owning the defender. Ooh. So, uh, so you know, I'm, I'm, I shout out to him for that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to go and uh, listen to some some other people talk and ask some better questions than what I did. But uh, thrilled to hear your guys' <laughs> views. Glad I caught you caught awesome. this podcast at just the yeah. right time. No, we're so Absolutely. glad. Oh, and we're hope so Jamie's glad hope Jamie's in. better too. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get him. We need to get him better. Because much as I love doing the pod with JT and taking callers, I do miss doing it at the pub as well. So it's always a good place to be. No, I, <laughs> so we'll, we'll I know I'm a hindrance. Game and had a great experience. <laughs> JT, you're the goat. It's fine. Um, we'll go, Thanks, I don't guys. see any other callers. 
on the line right now, but we'll give you guys just a few more minutes in case anybody else wants to call in. Um, Mel, if you need me to go make a fake phone call, I can do that. And uh, I can have my my wife call in and, uh, you know. Perfect. Whatever we need. Yeah, good. I like I like the uh, I like the enthusiasm there. Um, before we we kind of sign off here, uh, we do want to just go quick hitters around the Big Twelve. Uh, biggest matchup of the weekend, in my opinion, is Kansas and Iowa State. I'm just kidding. Uh, I think the the most intriguing one is is Texas Tech traveling out to Morgantown to take on West Virginia, um, who I'm sure will still be crying about the officiating. Um, that's an intriguing game. Texas Tech looks really, really good. They gave Oklahoma State all they could handle and fell just a touchdown short in Lubbock. Um, but now they've got to go on the road to Morgantown and play a really, really angry West Virginia team that gave TCU all they could handle. So how do you see that one going? Yeah, um, the line right now is West Virginia minus three and a half. Uh, I... <laughs> which seems really close to me. I, I would have expected it to be a little bit um, more disproportionate. I, I, I really, I could see West Virginia coming out and playing really well. The thing that holds me back is I really don't know what Texas tech is capable of. Uh, they've looked really solid. They seem to be playing really well. Um, I, you know, but, I am not sure exactly how good they are. Um, But I I think West Virginia will win this game. Um, I think it's going to be relatively close. There's always the propensity here for a a shootout. I think uh, Texas Tech definitely has the ability to do that. Um, So I I would take the over, and I would probably take West Virginia. Yeah, I I think so, too. Um, I I do think that that Texas Tech is a good football team. Um, I think they're definitely a bowl team, and I think they're kind of a fringe contender possibly to get to Arlington for that Big 12 championship. But at the end of the day, I think West Virginia holds serve at home. Um, I think it could be a close game. I'm I'm excited to watch that one. I think that's a really entertaining matchup for sure. Um, But I think West Virginia is just just a little bit better. I'm not a Nick Shimanek believer quite yet, but I do like the tools yet around them. Kiki Kuti is banged up. I don't know if that's going to impact the game or not, but at the end of the day, I, I think the Texas Tech defense is good. I just don't think they're good enough to slow down West Virginia quite enough and get a W on the road there. Uh, Kansas and Iowa State, you know, I think that the Iowa State gets one one win closer to bowl eligibility. I believe that game is in Ames. Uh, do you have a line on that one? <laughs> no, I don't. Take take Iowa State on that one. That's my yeah, <laughs> that's State. my professional opinion. Uh, yeah, Baylor at Oklahoma State. I think we can all agree that Baylor will be 0-6 by the end of this weekend. Um, Oklahoma State's not going to lose a game to a team they shouldn't this year. I think they got their wake-up call against TCU and that they're a real serious threat to run the table the rest of the way. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that one being a, uh, a knee knocker. I think, uh, I think Oklahoma State gets it done in good fashion. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the, the big game of the weekend on the national stage is the Red River rivalry as Oklahoma and Texas meet up. Uh, Texas seems to have all the positive momentum in the world right now, while OU is coming off of what can really – as good as – like, let's give a ton of credit to Iowa State, but at the end of the day, that's a pretty embarrassing loss for the Sooners on their home field. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Baker Mayfield going to dominate this game, or do you think that Texas can get it done? Oh man. Um, the line currently is, uh, Oklahoma minus eight. 
and I and I think, you know, I think Oklahoma in the end is going to get it done. Um, but I will I will say I think this is really interesting Oklahoma team because I think everything is squarely on Baker's shoulders. Uh, and mm-hmm. you know, much to my chagrin, he's a very talented individual. Um, but I think some of the the younger components to their offense are probably um, still acclimating themselves to the offense and to college football in general. Um, and I think anytime you lose, um, you know, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Joe Mixon, and Samaj P. Ryan, your offense is going to be less efficient than it was. Um, so I, I do think Texas has the propensity to give them a good game, but I think in the end Oklahoma is going to win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I really like C.D. Lamb. That's a kid, uh, the wide receiver. That's a kid that the TCU recruited for a while. Mm-hmm. I would have loved that had purple. Um, I think Jalen Rager is going to be better, but I think I think that those two are going to be a couple of freshman wide receivers to watch here. Um, but yeah, I think I don't think Baker Mayfield uh, is going to let his team lose. You know, they've done a good job of using the tight end. Offensive line has been really really solid. Um, the defense is absolute trash, and and with Mike Stoops at the helm, I don't know that it's going to improve that much. But Texas's offense is terrible. Good as Sam Ellinger has been, you know, they're still not putting up points in bunches. He's probably a year away, maybe two, from, you know, being able to lead them on 40-yard drives. And Texas can't run the ball at all. And so I don't care how mm-hmm. much your defense struggles. At the end of the day, um, if the only guy that can run the ball for you is your quarterback and you're playing an experienced, um, you know, experienced coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball for OU – I expect them to limit Ellinger to kind of show the cracks in his facade a little bit and, and to stop this Texas offense enough uh, to get a, to get a pretty easy win. That being said, Red River rivalry, crazy things happen. The worst Texas team that we've seen in the last decade beat them uh, a couple years ago. So you really can't count anything out, and it'll be, that'll be a fascinating one to watch again. Um, there are absolutely no ranked matchups this weekend across college football, which is why game day is going to an FCS site, uh, going back to James Madison. Uh, it's a pretty bad weekend for matchups overall. Um, Alabama and Arkansas, Arkansas is going to continue to not help us. Uh, Utah and USC is an interesting matchup. Utah is one of those teams that's going to bounce back and forth between 23rd and unranked all year long. USC, in my opinion, still slightly overrated. Um, at, I think, 13th or uh, 13th overall. Uh, they just aren't that good. I like Sam Darnold a lot, but he has been really inexcusably bad this year um, based off of what we, we saw out of him last year. So uh, I think that that's, that's an interesting game, but I, I just don't think that – I don't think either of those teams are going to be relevant when it comes down to it. And then to me, the most interesting game on the schedule uh, is, is a fun one, and that's Navy, a ranked Navy team versus Memphis, a team that – uh, knocked off what we thought was going to be a good UCLA team, but turns out they're also garbage. <laughs> this is a, this is the point of the season where all the, uh, all the good matchups have kind of, uh, you know, they, everyone starts strong and then there's this wave of not very good games and then things will start to pick up again. Um, so yeah, kind yeah. of a little in the slate. Uh, Arkansas is going to get demolished um, because I'm a Patriot. I'm going to go for Navy. Um, yep. and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I really have no stake in Utah versus USC. Uh, and if it's, if it's the nine o'clock game, I'm definitely not going to watch it. Um, the games are on too late. Chris Peterson. So mad. <laughs> Pac-12 oh, after dark. So mad. Pac-12 after dark. Well, um, you know, the, the, 
another little bit of information here that we want to share as a basketball-related item with TCU set to step off their season just a month away. Former TCU headman Trent Johnson is packing up, leaving, and heading to what might be the worst employment situation in the country right now. He is going to take an assistance position under David Padgett at Louisville. Wow, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, the Cardinals obviously are under all kinds of heat on the basketball program. And a good friend of mine texted me this afternoon when that news broke and said, oh, no, what just happened? And I said, be prepared for poorly coached and poorly developed players uh, that are not made better by recruiting because Trent was never much of a great recruiter um, here at TCU, but what was most disappointing was his inability to develop talent. Um, I don't want to be too hard on him. He did not have a whole lot to work with. But at the same time, we've seen under one year of Jamie Dixon that this program was not left for dead, as as he claimed. And uh, what are your thoughts on Trent Johnson heading to Kentucky to coach uh, the former Rick Pitino's staff on the former staff of Rick Pitino? I didn't think there was a worse situation to inherit than TCU's a few years ago when he did. Uh, (laughs) But I think he might be taking on a more difficult and tenuous position. Uh, And there is a lot of work to be done there. Uh, And I, you know, wish him nothing but the best. Uh, I think he had, uh, he had a lot, he has work cut out for him here uh, and unfortunately was unable to, uh, to uh, succeed, but hopefully uh, situations and circumstances can be different over there and they can have some success. Well, I, I see, you know, this kind of being a stopgap uh, position for Louisville. I think at some point they're going to need to clean house and that needs all the assistance and the entire staff. And, and they bring in, uh, I'm mean, imagine they're going to go after a big guy, a big name here over the next year or so, but nobody wants to touch that job with 10 foot pole right now, especially not the poles that have been hanging around Louisville. So, um, I would anticipate that was funny. You can laugh. That was pretty funny. Stripper um, <laughs> poles, hide stripper. Come on, JP, help me out. It was, People at the pub were laughing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it I, I felt too it, soon. It, it just felt too soon. That's really yeah, what it too was. soon, too soon. Well, well, Trent will go there. He'll be fine. He will run a clean program. I mean, that's one thing that nobody ever questioned. Um, I don't think anyone's ever questioned throughout his career, and that's really what they need is somebody with a lot of integrity that will run a clean program, um, and, and that will just kind of get Louisville through this next stage. And in that sense, he's really a perfect hire. So uh, good luck to him. Like I said, I, I harbor no ill will against them. Uh, he walked into a tough situation, didn't make the most of it, but, um, you know, brought in some, some talented pieces. You know, he's responsible for Alex Rowlinson being at, at TCU um, and, you know, really set a, a good foundation that Jamie Dixon was able to build on and capitalize on and uh, will hopefully uh, be bringing TCU back to the promised land this spring. So that's all I have. JT, do you have anything else that you want to add that you feel like we didn't touch on tonight? You know, I think we covered all our bases. Uh, if I were to ask one question, what do you think TCU basketball is going to do this year? Uh, undefeated national champion, forty zero. That no. Uh, you know, no, I, I mean, I think that's I think that's only the natural course. I'm currently looking at yeah. uh, NCAA yeah, men's not making, futures. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't go from uh, not making the tournament in 20 years to not being undefeated and going 40 and 0 and winning a national championship, um, right? That's the way this works. Um, you know, I think, I, think so, yeah. that, I think the Frogs are a tournament team. Um, I think they have all the pieces. You know, some of y'all may know that the basketball is my first sport. It's it's my first love. 
um, in athletics and being a TC basketball fan is, has been horribly painful for someone who loves the game as much as I do. But when I watch this team practice and I look at their roster and the pieces that they have around them, the Frogs have everything that you need to be successful. They have senior mm-hmm. leadership. They have young talent. I'm obsessed with RJ Nemhard. He may not be great this year just because the guard rotation is so deep, but he looks like right. a real deal. Uh, Desmond Bain, um, when I went to the first practice of the year, which they were kind enough to, to invite us out to, um, you know, I was so impressed with Bain as a leader. Um, you know, this is a kid that's really grown up a lot and that has a very vocal leadership presence on that team. I think he's going to be special um, this, this coming season. You know, Kenny Hustle and Vlad um, are two of just the best players in the Big 12 period in any position, um, and they bring some toughness and some strength with also, um, you know, a little bit of scoring opportunity and, and, a, and a, a really tough matchup for, for opponents. And then you bring in a guy like Sean Olden who can absolutely shoot it. You've got Alex Robinson, whose season goal is to break the all-time assist record at TCU. If your point guard wants that, like, you know, you're in pretty good shape. Um, I will be disappointed if they don't make it uh, to the NCAA tournament. I'll be disappointed if they aren't competing until late in the season for a Big 12 title um, and if they don't make a really nice run through the Big 12 tournament. I think that that expectation is, is legitimate, assuming they stay healthy. So um, I think this is a this is a good team that is going to challenge people. I think they're going to go win some road games that, that were close last year. I think they're going to get over the hump and, and I think they're going to compete, you know, in the top three of the Big 12 this year. So the conference is right for them to do so. Um, I think they'll take advantage. And I just really, really believe in what Jamie Dixon is doing on the development front with his staff. Um, and these players have gotten so much better, uh, so much bigger. Quat Noy is going to be uh, potentially the newcomer of the year in the Big 12. They've got everything they need to be successful. Now it's just a matter of going out and playing the game. We're going to be the nine seed and losing the first round, aren't we? That's you know, how it's going to go. I don't like you. Come on, negative Nancy. Jeez. No, I just, I just feel Every like uh, I. So uh, during like my entire tenure as a TCU fan, we have not had any success in basketball, and uh, last year was honestly pretty magical for us to. I know people are disappointed with how we finished and how we didn't make the tournament, but to win, to win the NIT, I mean, for us to have you know, five awesome. to six meaningful playoff games was really, I mean, it was incredible. It was really honestly amazing. Yeah. Um, but as I'm thinking now, I'm like, yeah, we, we really should be a, a tournament team. Um, but how many people say that and then get bounced in the first round? Like that would really, it would just bum me out. I'm just, I'm voicing my thoughts and opinions and I just, I don't want to be lambasted for that. Um, but that's where I'm at. I, I just that would that would make me really sad if that were the case. Yeah, no, and, and I understand the concerns. Um, but but I'm telling you from a from a basketball perspective, pieces are there. Um, there's nothing that should keep this team from being competitive outside of just a, a horrible string of injury, which we've all dealt with as TCU fans in one sport or another. So I think that this this is a really good team that had that run, that got that experience, and in reality didn't lose anything other than leadership, um, you know, with with graduation. So Brandon Parrish made some huge plays down the stretch when Fish got hurt, but, you know, his leadership was his most valuable asset. And and I'm telling you, Kenny Hustle learned under him. Desmond Bain learned under him. Those guys are going to fill that void. Alex Robinson is going to be a great leader for this team. And Sean Olden is one of those transfers that comes in and just shocks people because he just fits so well uh, he reminds me a little bit kind of I think he's going to play that Ben Banigan role for the basketball mm. team he's a vocal leader I wouldn't be shocked if he's a captain by the end of the season 
Um, he he's has always smiling. This kid is always smiling. He can be running, you know, sprints for a punishment after losing a, a contest or whatever, and he's going to have a huge smile on his face. And so he brings that levity and that spirit that Brandon Parrish had. Um, the pieces are there. The coaching is there. The Big 12 is going to be really, really good again. So it's not like you're going to run through it unscathed, but I'm, you're going to want to be in the Schallmeyer this season. Uh, this is going to be something special to watch. And I was a freshman the last time we made the tournament. I am going to be much, much older the next time we do, but I don't think it's going to be too far from now. Well, we're uh, we're not so far off from that, and that's going to be really exciting. But in the meantime, I guess we have football to watch to keep us busy. We do. We've got hopefully a lot of football to watch. Um, that has been our show for today. JT, thank you so much for stepping in and, and filling in for Jamie tonight. Um, again, sorry for those of you guys that had some people tweet at us that they were upset that we weren't at the pub and – we really do apologize. It's been so much fun. We love being out there. We will be back out there Wednesday night, barring something unforeseen. Um, it, is, it has been a really special kind of occasion for us to, to be with people live and answering questions and have that ambiance. But we want to give you guys the next best thing. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show tonight. Um, there is Coop, a horny tub blonde at the pub tonight, which just makes it even sadder. So really into this live. Get on mm. over there for pint night. Still support those guys. Uh, they had a special pint glass for us and everything. I'm just so devastated. But um, keep checking us out. Make sure you catch us on iTunes. Catch us on frogsaward.com. I am Melissa. He is JT. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you in Manhattan. Go Frogs. Bye. My new jack-in-the-box ribeye burger is made with 100% premium ribeye beef, grilled onions, a red wine glaze, and creamy Havarti cheese. It's fast food's first ribeye burger, so I'm inviting the whole industry to come try it. That's why I set up this giant five-mile-long dining table. Oh, hang on. Hello? Hey, Jack. We're at the far end of the table. Can you pass the napkins? Sure. I'll pass them down. Should be there in a couple of hours. Come try my new Havarti and grilled onion and all-American ribeye burgers, only at Jack in the Box, at participating restaurants. My new Jack in the Box ribeye burger is made with 100% premium ribeye beef, grilled onions, a red wine glaze, and creamy Havarti cheese. It's fast food's first ribeye burger, so I'm inviting the whole industry to come try it. That's why I set up this giant five-mile-long dining table. Oh, hang on. Hello? Hey, Jack, we're at the far end of the table. Can you pass the napkins? Sure, I'll pass them down. Should be there in a couple of hours. Come try my new Havarti and grilled onion and all-American ribeye burgers, only at Jack in the Box, at participating restaurants.